0: Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Once again, thank you, Liberty Bible Academy worship team. Uh, blessed time of worship. And parents, you must be proud of your, your kids. Uh, praise God. And for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, special thanks. I know that, um, Sarah, I guess I could call you Sarah, um, uh, contacted her last year about coming and leading worship here with the kids. And uh, they had a little uh, a blessing come their way that delayed the uh, their coming. So we're so blessed that you came and I'm uh, so blessed with, again, the worship team of Liberty Bible Academy. Um, uh, thinking of the youth being here this week, uh, and praying, and the Lord's led us to Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to take a break from our chapter-by-chapter uh, chapter study in the Gospel, Mark, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. And... Uh, You know, there's a notion in the church world today that the youth are the future of the church. And I don't think I have ever agreed with that. Because the youth in Christ are part of the church today. Amen? And so, uh, I love the exhortation um, that the Apostle Paul gave to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Bless you. (laughs) In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, it says, Let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So, great exhortation for, for Timothy, but also the Spirit of God giving exhortation to our young people uh, today. You know, Don't let anyone despise you in your youth. Take heed to your ministry. And, you know, when you think of youth and ministry and serving, like so many of these kids I know, and and in our own church, they do, they serve. But when you put them on the front lines of worship, it's amazing. Number one, it's amazing to see kids. It's not just the instruments. They're, They're talented or their voices, they are very talented, but there's something much, much greater in leading worship. It's leading the congregation into the throne room of God. And you know, there's one, uh, I think of how, how valuable uh, the youth are today. Uh, God believes they're valuable. We understand that created in the image of Christ. We understand it's awesome when we see young people get involved in ministry. But, you know, there's an enemy who thinks they're very valuable, too. You know, our young people are going through a a great deal. We're all under attack in the church, right? Because of the times we're living in, the closer that Jesus Christ comes again, we know we're living in those end times. Uh, And so things are just, you know, ratcheted up a little bit. But when you see them worship the Lord and lead worship, we see the value. That is much more than just being young people. They're, they're you know, leading in worship, living their lives in worship. And so all that to say, we're going to look at the first uh, verses 10 through 17. I was going to say, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I thought we'd camp out on that a while, but I didn't think that would be popular. So we're going to bypass that and go to verse 10. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We know, Lord, that you have a word for each one of us to encourage us, to build us up in the faith, Lord, to strengthen us, that we might walk in the victory that we have sang about this morning. So, Lord, uh, just prepare our hearts and lighten us with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the first four verses here. that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know, throughout the book of Ephesians, it, it's, it's a powerful book, and it reminds us, Paul, uh, sharing with that church of who we are in Christ. Remember the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's all doctrine, um, uh, you know, theology of our position as believers in Christ. And then the chapters 4 and 5, we have the walk worthy, To walk in wisdom, uh, to to walk, um, you know, in love, and then it's interesting. In chapter six, at the very end of this, you know, the epistle uh, of all epistles from Paul, as some say, we have this mindset of spiritual warfare. And remember, at this time, Paul is writing uh, in Rome, in a prison, and so uh, many believe he's even chained to a, a Roman soldier at this time. And so he gives us this illustration of a Roman soldier and points to the battle that the Christian faces. And he looks at that armor and he presents the armor and things that we put on or having put on to equip us for the battles that we face. Now, I had a talk with Mrs. Smith beforehand. We talked about spiritual warfare and worship. Our kids probably don't understand it all, and praise God. But us older folks right we understand spiritual warfare a little bit more and again when you when you when you're on the front lines in worship there is a battle but it's greater than that there's a battle going on today as believers we experience that all over the world you know Christians are being beheaded for their faith they're being killed for their faith we're certainly experiencing much much more persecution maybe not in losing our lives here in America this day but things are speedily coming along. And so we have the encouragement here, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Be strong. Um, Now, when it comes to spiritual warfare and talking about the devil, talking about demons, you know, there's there's a wide spectrum in the church. You know, some will put too much emphasis on the devil and that we look for demons behind every door, right? And then there's the other side of it that, well, is he even real? I don't, I don't see him, but he is real. And we know this from the scriptures that he's real, and we experience that. In fact, we should look at Ezekiel 28, because where did Satan come from? Well, Ezekiel 28, verse 14 through 17 says, Speaking of him, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you of covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So essentially, Satan, a created being, right? He's not equal with God, he's a created being. He was essentially a worship leader as a cherub angel, worshiping God until he wanted to be like the Most High God. And if you think, what is Satan's purpose today? It is to be God. He wants to have power He wants the worship. He wants the attention on him. And so his purpose to overthrow God's kingdom and replace it with his own. Now we know from what the Bible says in the future times there's going to be an antichrist coming on this scene possessed by the devil. And there's going to be that one world government and all. And so we see that being played out before our eyes in the future from prophecy from scripture. But this has always been the goal of the enemy. Now, just as we sang this morning, Satan has no power over us as believers. He can only do what we allow him to do. He has no power over us. But as we see here, Paul and the Holy Spirit wants us to see the importance of the warfare that exists. We're in a battle. So be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This word power speaks of to be enabled or to be empowered. And again, we're reminded here, this is again key, we don't fight for the victory, we fight from the victory. And the cross is the point of victory, just as we sang. Isn't it amazing how the songs just line up with this? We're not surprised, are we? The word wiles here, in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, speaks of schemes or his methods. And his methods and and schemes and the way he likes to operate against us as believers is founded on deception. Satan's schemes are built around deception. Verse 12 tells us, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, Wow, you know, thinking of this, we're going to do a teaching on the form of God in one service. That's amazing. So on verse 12 here, it reminds us that there is a hierarchy of demonic activity, a spiritual hierarchy of, you know, you have Satan, you have his demons, all in the spiritual realm that we can't see. I'm glad we can't see it. Some God gifts to be able to see different things but we don't see this taking place. But we are seeing the activity more and more and more here played out on earth, right? But all that, to, so it's very high-ranking uh, uh, demons. They, they have a, like, a, uh, you know, like an army, just as God has with his angels. Now, since there is a devil, since there are demons, and since the, the, they, you know, the enemy comes up against us as believers, We are given the exhortation to withstand, as it says in verse 13. And that that word withstand means to resist. To resist. This describes the purpose of the strength that God gives to us in the full armor of God. And we're going to see these first three pieces of the armor. Interesting we already have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it says here, in the evil day. In the evil day. Now, we understand because Satan exists, every day can potentially be evil, but it seems like as we've gone through time and different spots in in history and time, you look certainly in the Old Testament, there were different uh, times of more evil days than others. We understand we're living in an evil day. And Paul, remember, in Ephesians 5 says, Redeem the time for the days are evil. And so that's the exhortation for us, to redeem the time. How do we redeem the time? Well, we live our lives for the Lord. We put on the full armor of God and withstand or resist the enemy. So here we go with the armor. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So if you're thinking... the Roman soldier, it would have been important to have the belt of truth. You know, they had those tunics, or I like to say a dress. I mean, imagine going to play basketball in a dress, or playing football in a dress, or swimming in a dress. You don't. (laughs) So for the, yeah, a a Roman soldier would put on that belt to be able to to have mobility, not to have the tunic um, get in the way, to trip them up, and so, this word having here, stand therefore having girded your waist with the truth. Interesting, we, we have this already. And it speaks of Jesus Christ. It speaks of Him being the truth. The moment you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, the belt of truth is on. Now sometimes we have to tighten it up. Sometimes we have to be remembered Well, loosen it up for some of us, but. um, And the idea here is being prepared for battle. How important is truth today? Very, very important. It's always been very important. But how often do we hear truth doesn't exist? Or how often do we hear your truth may be your truth, but it's not my truth? And especially when it comes to the Bible, to Jesus, to God. Truth, as we know, is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we put on the armor with truth, knowing the truth about God, knowing the truth about Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And how often is it then, as remember, we're being prepared with the belt on Is that the enemy comes against us as believers, trying to get our focus off truth? He comes against us, doesn't he? Constantly attacking the truth of who Jesus is. And he wants us to question or doubt our faith, to doubt the perfect work that Jesus had done at the cross. Let me just say this because I think it's important. I think it's important for the church. I think it's important for young people. First of all, for the church, we need to listen to the young people. It's not a sin or our kids aren't whacked out, and this goes for adults too, when we question our faith or when we have questions about our faith. Unfortunately, I'm convinced that as a church leader, I haven't done well enough to listen to the youth, to listen to them talk and to reason and to get them into the scripture, point them to the truth. You see, again, Satan's coming. Truth. What's truth? Where's truth? And so it's not wrong to think on those things that come our way, doubting, but we have the responsibility to get anyone who's doubting to listen and get them into the Word of God, pointing to Jesus Christ as truth. The belt of truth represents the truth of who we are in Christ, not only about God and Jesus but also who we are in Christ. How important is that? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He, that's Jesus, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is who we are as believers. We are in Christ because not of my good works or anything that I could do to earn my salvation, but he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, conveyed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's a truth that we have to stand on because the enemy does come against that, of who we are in Christ. And so, again, knowing the truth, having the belt of truth uh, on having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate on a Roman soldier would cover the the front and the back consisting of um, layered metal scales uh, fastened to leather covering the front and the back of the soldier. And so, as we know, the breastplate would cover all the vital organs, your heart, your lungs, and whatever else is in there, all the vital things that we need to live. And so... In a spiritual way, we understand that on the inside, the breastplate area, the heart, emotions and feelings. Again, this is vital. Emotions and feelings. Does anybody ever deal with emotions and feelings? It's not just youth. Yeah, every day. And praise God, truth isn't based on our feelings. Praise God, truth isn't based on our emotions. But having this You know, breastplate protects our inner emotions. The enemy coming against us. And so we have this breastplate of righteousness. The enemy wants us to feel condemned, but the word of God tells us something different. Let's look at a couple scriptures here Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And as that scripture goes on, that passage goes on, it talks about the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that word righteousness is vital for us to understand because you are righteous. I am righteous, again, not because of what we've done or how we could earn it, but we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's imputed. It's given to us. So when when we come to Christ, God no longer sees us as sinners. He sees us with the blood of Christ over us. And the doctrine of righteousness is just one of my favorites. If you... You think in terms of, uh, I don't know if we have any lawyers here or attorneys, defense attorneys. You know, righteousness means we have been justified. We have been justified. Romans 4.24. But also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And what about 2 Corinthians five twenty one? For he made him who know no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So in him, coming to faith in Christ, we are justified. And along with that comes many blessings. And one blessing was already read today from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There is now therefore no condemnation. Now let me ask you, how many were condemned by something or someone this week? It's the enemy who wants to bring condemnation. What about when we sin? Anybody sin this week? Don't raise your hand. This is church. We all fall short of the glory of God and we sin. We fall short. Even after coming to Him, we, we will sin. But praise God, we can go to Him and be forgiven of our sin. He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. Big difference. The condemnation comes from the enemy. How many have sinned and feel the guilt, the shame as believers, and you experience that guilt and shame until you go to Him and ask for that forgiveness, and you receive that forgiveness, and that conflict is gone. That's what God desires, that we come to Him. But He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. It's the enemy who condemns us and says, well, you know what, you sinned. You're some Christian. How can you you even go to church today because you've sinned? And he lies. And Jesus... has told us over and over in the Word that he's a liar. The enemy is a liar. He's a thief. And so the righteousness of Christ, this breastplate of righteousness, protects us when Satan accuses us and condemns us and points all of our failures out to us. I know when I first got saved, that a pastor, Pastor Gene McBride, said, when this enemy does that, just say thanks, because you just reminded me what Jesus did for me. Amen? Verse 15 says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is the next piece of armor. A Roman soldier would need good footwear to be able to march, to climb, um, something that would be able to give him good traction uh, in hand-to-hand combat. And the Romans, they came up, they had their designer sandals with it thicker leather, and they had these nails put in them called hobnails. And the hobnails then would act like cleats. And we understand today there's, my goodness, there's, if you go to um, Foot Locker or if you go to Dick Sporting Goods or, or anywhere, if you go to the sh- shoe section, they have a shoe for everything. You've got baseball cleats, you've got football cleats, you've got basketball shoes. My goodness, I even heard now they're coming up with pickleball shoes. So this would be be really interesting. But point being, how important it is for this footwear, uh, for the Roman soldier to be involved in hand-to-hand combat. And then, again, speaking in past tense, having shod your feet. Again, to us, past tense, this speaks of being prepared, having the necessary footwear. Now, a lot of point to evangelism here, and I'm spot on. That's right. But I think more in mind with what Paul was talking about here, using past tense, having, is the peace that God gives to us through a relationship with Him. Again, this peace with God. You know, we have a world looking for peace, world peace. They're never going to find peace without Jesus Christ. Look at what the peace of God does for us. Romans 5 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, preparation means being equipped. And the message of the gospel certainly equips us to withstand the schemes of the enemy. If we're not a believer, he doesn't even bother us. Since we are believers, we will experience warfare. But he's given us peace. We've been reconciled to God. Sometimes we might not want to think about it or haven't thought about it, but before we came to the Lord, we were in hostility against the Lord. In fact, Paul taught us to the church of Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So that was us, or in the body of flesh through death to the present you, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, which that's really rendered since you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So all that to show us, because this glorifies Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Before we came to know Christ, We were in hostility against God. We did not have peace with God. But he provided the means of reconciliation through his son dying on the cross. He shed his blood. This is the only thing that makes us righteous. And we only have peace with God when we are in Christ. But glory be to God for this, because since we do have peace with God, we can experience the peace that comes from God. And again, in the mindset of experiencing spiritual warfare and being encouraged, exhorted to put on the full armor of God, we must have good footwear, meaning we must experience the peace that comes from God. Jesus said, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said of the enemy, the one we're talking about, the adversary that brings forth warfare and battle against us, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. How does does the enemy rob us of our peace? Well, how about doubt? It brings forth doubt, uncertainty. And oh, by the way, I think we live in days of uncertainty, a lot going on. We have a nation that is divided, a world that is divided politically in every which way you can think about. A lot going on in this world. But the Lord tells us to we have peace. And it doesn't matter the time frame that we live in. We, we can have peace with God. But it's the enemy who brings forth doubt, discouragement, What about this? The enemy likes to attempt to take away our assurance and confidence in God. I I have to admit there's sometimes you look at the world today and it's like, wow, Lord, how much more? (laughs) But he's he's much more loving than us. He's working. His plan of salvation, his plan of redemption has not changed one bit and God's doing a wonderful work. He's, he's bringing people to salvation. The gospel is going forward, and God's doing it. Ultimately, the enemy wants us to question God. And again, why is this so important? Well, for today, as we have our youth, some youth with us, but it's, it's not just for our youth. The times of difficulty, the enemy coming against believers, again, the, the value of our youth. I think probably all of us would agree that over the last three or four decades, the church has dwindled, in fact, with youth. I remember when, in St. Mary's, we had a thriving Sunday school, you know, program, and Uh, The kids were being discipled for 10 or 8 years or 6 years. It it was great. But how often have we seen, and you probably have seen too, is that when kids get out of the house, they go to college, they start doubting, and they're influenced. That's why it's so important to be rooted and putting on the forearm of God. Satan wants to bring anybody and everybody away from Christ. But when we put on the belt of truth, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, when we put on the proper uh, footwear, we can experience peace. A great lie that Satan has used in the body of Christ today is that your life should be perfect. There should be a bed of roses. You shouldn't go through difficulties or trials. or tribulations. That is nowhere found in the Word. In fact, every great Bible character I've, I've read through His Word, they've gone through great trials. You look at the church today in China, Iran, which, again, you won't hear that on the 6 o'clock news. But God's church in China is growing amazingly in Iran. They've dealt with a lot of persecution. And it's through persecution, those trials, that, that faith comes to the surface and Jesus Christ is glorified. Verse 16 says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Notice here we have a change in language. Instead of having, it says taking, above all, taking the shield of faith. taking the shield of faith, the shield for the Roman soldier. They had a couple different shields. They would have one that they would wear on their wrist and be able to fight hand-to-hand combat. And then there was the bigger one, uh, two foot by four to five feet tall, and they would stand behind that, and it would be made of wood, and they would cover it with leather. And the Romans were smart enough, they would, um, you know, going into battle they would water down the leather so when the fiery darts which the enemy would you know have a um, you know cloth and put pitch on it and light it and flaming missiles we've come a long way in technology haven't we so's the enemy but it didn't stop the fiery arrows from coming but they would be distinguished when they came and hit so in the same way here as believers the fiery darts they come our way, See, Satan tries to uh, you know, throw these darts, get our focus off, but when you think about a shield of faith, what's that consist of? Well, everything about your faith, who Christ is, what he's done for you, the love of God, faith, everything about faith, the word of God, prayer, all these things, your faith, it covers everything. I can't help but to think, you know, probably a good military act would be. I'm sure they, they did. It's not me coming up with this, but uh, numbers is an important thing. Not that we, you know, keep track of numbers in church to build a church or anything like that. We should be about that. But in faith, substance, believers coming together behind their shield and building up walls. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. He prayed for you and I as part of that unity, that we wouldn't be of the world. Faith is living and acting out your belief. Faith isn't just something, well, I I have faith, and therefore, that's it. Faith is really the hope of the assurance and the substance that you're putting faith. And for us, it's God. It's us, it's Jesus. It's in His Word. All these things that make up faith. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Helmet of salvation. The helmet for the Roman soldier, definitely essential, protecting the head. The helmet generally was made up of leather and metal plates that would come down the, the cheeks and back of the neck for protection. The helmet of protect, or excuse me, the helmet of salvation for the believer protects what? It protects our mind. And essentially, this is where warfare ultimately takes place. It takes place in our mind. And the enemy is clever, and there's not one here that is strong enough to withstand the enemy in our own strength. I'm sure all of our youth, they get tired of parents and dads and moms and whomever else, teachers, because we've got faithful teachers at LBA, and public school teachers in our midst that are telling their kids to get into the Word. It's not just a cliche or a spiritual thing to say, getting into the Word. Because it's in the word that our minds are renewed. It's in the word that we're influenced. See, we're going to be influenced by something. Every one of us are influenced by something. And unfortunately, when those kids leave home and they get out on their own and the influence of the enemy, it just they're influenced. Adults can too. Not just youth. We can, we can get out of the word, out of fellowship, and before you know it, we're being influenced by the world. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to wants to happen. But the helmet of salvation, and I believe this is um, certainly intentional of the Lord, um, specifically pointing to salvation. The enemy comes against us to bring doubt, discouragement, distraction, and how often is it that we question our own salvation if we're real and honest? It's like, wow, I don't, I don't know. Again, that's, that's not wrong. It's what you do with it. Again, the importance of being in the Word. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So here Paul was talking about the hope of salvation. We have the hope of salvation. Salvation meaning saved. Saved from what? Well, saved from sin, the consequences of sin. Saved from hell. And we'll spend eternity with God in heaven. That is our hope, hope of salvation. But ultimately, there's different aspects of salvation. Think back to when you first got saved, when you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. At that very moment, you received salvation. Again, not based on our works, not on anything we could do. We experienced the the love of God. We experienced the grace of God. We received salvation. And then as we live in this life, we experience the salvation of the Lord. Paul talked in Philippians about working out our salvation. That's not working for salvation. It's working from salvation. It's our salvation being lived out. Fancy theological word, sanctification, goes there. But then salvation for the future. How important it is that we understand we are saved. Because, again, the enemy comes against that, right? He wants us to doubt, has God really delivered me? Am I really saved? We need to know with great assurance that we are his. And we only do that by putting on the full armor of God and and the things that we discussed here. It's really walking out our relationship with God. And he's able to give us strength, give us power, give us really everything that we need to withstand the schemes of the enemy. And how often did Jesus say, and how often do we read throughout the word of God, do not fear, do not fear, do not be afraid. The last piece of armor in verse 17 is sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 12 it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sword of the Spirit, very surgeon-like, is the Word of God. And again, how important for the the Roman soldier to have a sword. It wouldn't be the big sword that we might see in movies, but a smaller sword, 6 to 18 inches, one for defensive purposes, but more importantly, for offensive maneuvers. Important to be in the Word of God, not only to defend ourselves, because God's defending us through His Word, but also to be offensive. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? How many times? Three times, and each time He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's the power that we have in Jesus Christ. We have the word of God that we can share with the enemy when he comes against us. It is written, it is written, it is written. And we need to use the word of God. You know, we're challenged all the time here, be in your Bible, be devoted to the word of God. Not just that we gain knowledge, but I'm convinced we are in great need to hear God's voice His influence, maybe a better way to say that, in the word of God to counter the attacks of the enemy because he comes against us as a church, as believers. But he gives us victory. He's given us victory. And with the word of God, we walk in that victory. I know I said verse 17, but there's another important thing in verse 18. (laughs) Real quick. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. How important is our prayer life? How important is it for the body of Christ corporately to be praying for one another? So vital. We'll stop there. But as you can tell, heavily influenced this week by the youth being here. And I'd just like for all the youth to come up here. I didn't plan this. I just want all the youth to come up here. If you're under, how old the youth? Only 18? Hello. This is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship, located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's Pastor Jim Swigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship church website is CalvaryChapelFaithFellowship.org There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.